Good morning. I, I believe the Lord wants to take care of that Pakistani postage this morning. Anybody else bear witness? Rick does. All right. Well, Making Disciples International is going to give $200 toward that. That's an independent. Where's my wife? She's going, really? Yes. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. Here, here we go. No, that was not indigestion. I believe this is the Lord. Listen, that all nations may come to a revelation of Jesus. And, and we need to be living sacrificially. Sacrifice is the language of love. It's the way in which love communicates. Sacrifice is the fuel that keeps love burning. And when the fuel runs out, the fire goes out. And the Lord is looking for sacrificial people that can immediately respond to the needs of one another. And especially to the needs of the good news going forth. What an honor. What a privilege we had. Praise God for that prompting. And I believe, I believe the Lord would really want us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit to take care of this need this morning. That the Comers wouldn't have to be thinking about it tomorrow or the next day. It'd be done today. Father, I want to just thank you that you're a God who wants your good news to go to the ends of the earth. Lord, thank you for Pakistan. Lord, uh, most of us haven't prayed for Pakistan this week or maybe even this year or maybe even ever, but we do today. We pray for Pakistan. Lord, thank you Thank you for this ministry in that nation that wants to go to a completely unreached people with the gospel. Not one Christian in that area. And Lord, we want to thank you for these believers that really are putting their lives on the line. This isn't just cancel culture. If people don't want to receive something about Christianity, Lord, it can be cancel your death, your life. But... They're believing and trusting that the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and they're not loving their lives even unto death is something that you will honor, that you will bless and that you will make fruitful. And thank you that we can be a part of that today to the glory and to the majesty of Jesus. Amen. Amen. That was all unexpected, too. Don't you like God of the surprises? Now, I heard one weak amen. God's going to do suddenly things. Listen, we're in an age of suddenly. Suddenly, a virus came. Suddenly, these things happened. If I sound like I'm a little excited, it's because I am. Uh, thank you for those of you who prayed for us yesterday. Uh, we did a Making Disciples International seminar at a local church here in town. Uh, Janet and I had the privilege of sharing there last Sunday in prelude to an all-day seminar that was yesterday. And uh, I'm just, I'm thrilled for the pastor. Uh, he's had very little response in the seminars that he's been doing in that church for the five years that he's been here. And... Uh, he was just overwhelmed that more than half of his congregation turned up to the seminar. 
And it was uh, an exciting time, and this whole table over here was there, uh, minus one. But uh, it was an exciting time. It's an exciting time to be alive. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. If you could turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Last week, Janice brought us up all the way from the end of chapter 4 through chapter 5, verse 2. And we're going to start in verse 3 today. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world, in the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Let's pray. Lord, we're just so grateful for your written word. Thank you that it is forever settled in heaven. And we pray that it gets settled in our hearts this morning in a fresh and new way. Lord, we pray that uh, you would highlight different things to our hearts that we need to hear and be mindful of this morning. And for sure, you're wanting to bring all of us a little closer to where you are. Because the closer we get to you, the more we become like you. Because we see you more clearly. We see you as, a, as you really are. So, Lord, I pray that your word would be clear this morning. It'd be concise and accurate. It'd be pinpointed. And that we would be able to hear what you would want to say to each of our hearts this morning clearly. Even as I sound this shofar once again, that as easy as we hear this sound we would even in a greater ease be able to hear the sound of your spirit speaking to our hearts. Amen. 
Father, we just trust you to speak now. Your bondservants are listening. Amen. Amen. Well, by God's grace this morning, and it's going to need to be an act of grace, I hope to lightly address 12 verses. Now, if you've been in the journey with us in Ephesians, you know that most Sundays we get one verse or two verses. Man, I'm taking a quantum leap of faith, 12. We may be able to get through. Paul contrasts here the conduct of believers and unbelievers and especially in areas of sexual morality. You know, if our average age were a lot younger, I think I'd go into this subject a lot more thoroughly. Of course, I might need to adjust that now that I look at the ages of this table over here. But uh, basically, I think that what Paul wants to do is to contrast uh, appropriately described terms in, in either light or darkness. And unfortunately, the darkness over people and nations is growing much faster today than I think that any of us would have imagined. It's getting very dark. So Paul begins by addressing fornication. While it was a great problem in his day, it has multiplied who knows how many times in our day. Hebrews 13 verses 4 and 5 tells us marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Fornication is sexual activity outside of marriage. All sexual activity outside of marriage. And covetousness is connected to idolatry and human carnality. In other words, never able to get enough. The insatiable desire. How much is enough? A little more. Well, with such easy access to the internet, both men and women are finding an easy outlet for lustful gratification today. Millions upon millions. Today, obscene stories and coarse jokes are so common that we've really grown accustomed to them in a lot of circles. Paul cautions us, however, that improper language should not have a place at all in a Christian's life, and especially in their conversation, because it does not reflect the presence of God in us. How can we praise God and remind others of his goodness when we are speaking coarsely? It does not work. And Paul is not forbidding all contact with unbelievers. No, Jesus taught his followers to be friend sinners and to lead them to a saving knowledge of who Jesus really is. No, Paul is writing against the lifestyle of, of believers who make excuses for sinful, bad behavior and recommend its practice to others, whether they are in the church or outside of it. Such compromising people within the body of Christ that are believers quickly pollute the church and endanger our unity and purpose. We must also be wary of those who are viciously evil, 
Listen, Satan has sown his tares among the wheat. Those that are evil, immoral, opposed to the truth of the scriptures that Christianity stands for. When Paul says have no fellowship with them, what he really means is to have no share in their darkened lifestyle or beliefs. We must avoid the worthless deeds of the evil and darkness around us. And that includes, especially in light of sexual morality, any pleasure or activity that results in sin. But we must go even further, Paul says. Paul instructs us to expose and reprove these deeds. Why? Because our silence may well be interpreted as approval. That's part of the cost of the gospel. Part of letting the light shine is speaking up when no one else does. God needs people who will take a stand for what is righteous. And as Christians, we must lovingly speak out for what is true and what is right. Paul wrote this to the believers in Corinth. He said, do not be deceived. Bad or evil company corrupts good morals and morality and behavior. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. And you see, such people are more likely to influence us for evil than we are to influence them for good. That's why Paul had the wisdom to say, don't be deceived. Don't have fellowship in that aspect because they'll end up winning you, not you winning them. As born-again men and women, we are to reflect the light of Jesus in the midst of an ever-growing dark world. And our actions should reflect, actually, our faith. We should live above reproach morally to really reflect God's goodness to others. And Jesus stressed this truth all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And since seven of these verses that we've looked at here in Ephesians 5, seven of the verses are concerned about being light. I want to focus on this vital principle this morning. I want you all to turn to Matthew, the first book of the uh, first chapter in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Several of Jesus' disciples are sitting around him. Multitudes are down the mountain. Chapter 4, it says that multitudes were gathering to him. And when he got to one certain place, he went up to a high mountain. And after he sat, he opened his mouth and began to teach them, blessed are the pure in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And now he gets down to verse 14 through 16. And he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but instead on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus calls us what he is. He calls us what he is. 
He said, you are the light of the world. So that means we are the light of the world. If he says it, it's true. And what is true of Jesus applies to us because we are in him and he is in us. And we're not only to stand up for what is righteous and just, we are called to be righteous. We are called to be the righteousness of God in Christ. So it's more than just having high moral standards. It's being so much like Jesus that our righteousness reveals what is missing in the lives of others. They will be either drawn to the light within us or they will hate the light. We are in a day where all mixed seed, all the gray area is being squeezed out. They will either love or hate, not, eh, they're all right. Those days are behind us. And in verse 16, Jesus says that our good work should cause others to seek God. According to verse 15, we are not to hide or to limit our light. It should give light to all that are in the house. And it's not the lampstand, the vessel that is important, but the lamp, the light itself. And we are the vessels and Jesus is the light. Our good works must be done in such a way that they point to the Father and glorify Jesus. So your light should shine so that others are convicted by your life because they see the Lord in us. Your mercy should convict others because of their lack of mercy. Your brokenness over sin should cause others to see the hardness of their own hearts. But you see, whenever the light is shining, it's either attracted to or hated. Some people hate to see brokenness. Amazing. Your kindness and your deeds should show others their self-centeredness. Your pure heart and clean conscience conscience and the peace and the joy that accompany both should convict others of their sin. But you see, people do not like to be convicted. It makes us feel bad about something we've done. But that's good in the eyes of God. The role of the Holy Spirit is to convict all of the world concerning righteousness, sin, and judgment to come. So I praise God when God convicts my heart. I hope you do too. Conviction is a wonderful thing. Let someone say amen. amen. It's a wonderful thing. Amen. Praise God. If he didn't convict us, he'd let us go our own way to perdition. We'd go off the hill. There's no hope without conviction. There's no salvation without conviction. As unbelievers see your and my lives, they should be convicted and drawn to the spirit. And they may call on Jesus for salvation. And as believers in the house of God see his holiness at work in us, they'll be convicted to pursue more of the Lord in their own personal lives. 
Jesus has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. In verse 8, in that Sermon on the Mount, he says, you were darkness. No, excuse me, back in uh, Ephesians. You were darkness, but now you are light. Listen to this, beloved. Your basic nature of darkness has changed. You were dark. You are light. Our nature has changed. Not you had some darkness and now you have some light, but you were and you are. And 2 Corinthians 5, 17 declares that we who are in Christ Jesus are an entirely new creation. Entirely new. Cahenos catesis, a brand new created species. It has never been created before is what we are in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. The Apostle Paul prayed for the believers in Ephesus as we saw earlier in our study in chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. He says, The spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing Jesus is within us, and the eyes of their understanding has been enlightened. Paul said that our eyes are already enlightened. And those who, of us who believe in Jesus are the light and our eyes have already been opened up. It's not just in the future. It already has happened in Christ. And now Christ is our life. This is who we are. Now the good news this morning is that you and I are not our own. You're not your own. You've been bought and paid for and at what a price. The price of the blood of the Lamb of God, the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God who took away all the sins of the whole world. What you do does not determine who you are. Who you are determines what you do. You are light. You are in Christ. Believing God's truth about your identity will set you free to be who he says you are. Oh, that's too good. I got to repeat that. <laughs> Believing God's truth about your identity will set you free to be who he says you are. If we believe that we are part saint and part sinner or part light and part darkness, you know what will happen? We will be unfruitful in our Christ-like living with little to distinguish us from unbelievers other than that we say we believe. Because our faith is darkened if we still believe we're part this and part that. We have one foot in the kingdom and one foot down in the... There's no partial. You are light, not half light, not three quarters light. You're the light. What we believe about ourselves defines us. 
what we believe about ourselves defines us. You are the light of the world, says the Lord. Now that you are lit up within, don't return to walk back in darkness. Because its temptation and its allurement is to come back to me. Don't hide your light by sinning. Beware of secret sins of compromise and do not give the enemy an opportunity in your life. Or as we studied earlier in Ephesians 4, 27, don't give the devil a place to attack you. John 14, 30 says that there was no darkness in Jesus, making it impossible, impossible for the enemy to get a foothold to attack him. And that same Jesus lives in us by his spirit to help us live victoriously. Praise the Lord. You know, in Genesis 1, God's first recorded words were what? Let there be light. Now, this fact alone should speak to us powerfully. The first word God ever speaks, let there, an act of the will, let there be light. There is a strategic importance of light. So as you awaken each morning, I want to encourage you to listen for the Lord's recorded words about you and light. Today, my son, my daughter, let there be light through you. Pretty simple prayer, isn't it? Pretty simple word from the Lord. Let there be light through you. His first word, an alive word today. And you know, at the end of the day, as you prepare to go to sleep, he may, with satisfaction and joy, say to you, there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. I believe that when Father God sees the light shining inside of us, I think he smiles. Have you ever seen God smiling? I have in my mind. Why do we smile? We're made in his image. Tell you, when we do things that bless him, he smiles. I pray that we would put smiles on the father's face. When it says, here's my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And what do you think he did? He's my son whom I'm well pleased. That's not God. This is my boy. This is him. I am really excited about this. That's the joy of the Lord. It's our strength. Let's pray. Lord, it's been a bit of a short message this morning, but I want to thank you for the grace to get through 12 verses. Hallelujah. Lord, that scripture of Isaiah 60 comes to mind, and I want to pray a little into this. Arise and shine. 
your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. You. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Holy God, our Father, We really want to be sons and daughters in, in whom you're pleased. We pray you'd even grant us the opportunity to make you well pleased. Father, I can remember as a young boy when my dad was still living and when I did something that made him proud and made him excited that he was my dad, he'd look at me and give me a wink and smile. That's the love of the Father. Father, you're looking upon our lives all throughout the day. You see every act. You see every situation we, we encounter. And I pray that you'd help all of us to let the light of Jesus shine more brightly as each new day unfolds. We want to be sons and daughters that put lots of smiles on your face. We see the growing darkness everywhere, but you've called each of us, each of us, to stand out in this present darkness and to let the light of Jesus shine through us. So we pray this morning, Holy Spirit, you're the power, you're the in the empowerer, you're the standby, you're the counselor, you're the power source. Help us, Holy Spirit, to be the lights of this world shining all over Waco. When we're at HEB, when we're in the, in the parking lot, when we're on the streets, Lord, when we're driving, Lord, everywhere may there be a light shining in us and through us all over McLennan County. And Lord, I pray that light would shine not merely just today on this Sunday, the last day of February. I pray the light would shine in all the days to follow. Grant this for one, one reason, that Jesus might be seen, lifted up and glorified. It's all to Jesus, to his glory, and in his name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, have a great week. Let the light shine through you. Shine, Jesus, shine. God bless you.